Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh51. This week we have three hosts. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet, and the meme site randysrandom.com. I'm Leo Notenboom, still recovering from a human virus. So if I suddenly go mute all of a sudden, you all know why, because I'm coughing my lungs out over here. Uh, I am the Leo behind AskLeo.com, where I answer questions and just generally help people use technology more effectively and with more confidence. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I'm the host and producer at MacMost.com, where I post stuff for Apple users, and WPTipsAndHacks.com, where I post stuff for WordPress users. I also make uh, web-based and mobile games. You can find all those at CleverMedia.com. So, so that's good. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, so I saw... Uh, you know, it's not every week we get a movie that really is about the internet. Not that this is about the internet, but Ralph Breaks the Internet at least is poking fun. It's not a documentary? It's not a dot, no. Well, um. in some ways, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, sometimes it's in humor that we find deeper truths than we do otherwise. <laughs> true. Yeah. So, uh, no, it was, it was very good. It was very funny. Um, I think it is even funnier when you are in the business of pushing bits and using computers and the internet and all of that. Um, do you guys see the original, the first one? I did. It's been a while. Original? Yep. Yeah. This is a sequel. The, oh. the original really <laughs> played towards like, you know, the beginning of arcade and video games. Right. And it was about that, which of course I'm very interested in. I'm sad that Kevin's not here because of course he's very interested in that as well. And it did a great job of that. It's fantastic. Uh, one of the, the better uh, animated movies of the last decade. And um, this one, of course, goes and has those same heroes get access to the internet. So they get to play around. And, and we get to see a kind of virtual animated world of the internet with, you know, where everything's personified. You know, these names and businesses that we know on the internet are characters or groups of characters and and doing things and running around and um and so yeah so lots of good laughs and lots of good you know laughing at things that are funny because they're true <laughs> kind of thing um as they pokes fun at stuff and it's interesting how many internet um companies were represented as themselves i mean there were of course some internet companies that were kind of masked by names like one of the main internet companies there is called BuzzTube. And <laughs> it's kind of like YouTube, but it's also kind of like BuzzFeed, you know. But other ones like eBay and Pinterest and all that were represented as themselves. Um, That's kind of cool. Yeah. So, and I looked and, it up. Is this the sequel to Wreck It Ralph? Wreck It Ralph, I, right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And the, um, uh, you know, the interesting thing was that Google, I forget the name of the character that was supposed to be kind of the Google search engine, but that was there and used as a plot point in there, but Google itself was actually still there as a, you know, an entity. So, so it was kind of interesting. Of course, it's made by Disney. So Disney has the clout and power to be able to get those, you know, legal niceties aside and use real names, real logos and, and all that. And, and you know, every, everybody was, it was all in good fun. There was no, 
no real poking, uh, you know, bad fun in any, any companies or anything like that. So anyway, definitely worth seeing, um, uh, fun. So two th- thumbs up, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I was looking forward to it even before your review here, uh, Gary. So, uh, thank you for that. It's, uh, it looks like it's going to be some fun. I'm probably going to wait until it shows up, um, you know, offline or right. I shouldn't say offline online, actually it's more the streaming, case yeah. streaming or something like that. I don't know that it's a, uh, a theater worthy movie. Uh, I tend to reserve the, uh, the Marvel universe and the DC universe. Movies. Uh, <laughs> yes. Of course, some of that plays, of course, Disney, you know, has all these licenses and all that. Right. So yeah. So the Marvel universe is not <laughs> completely absent, uh, from this movie either. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Looks like fun. So this afternoon, two things happened this afternoon, completely unrelated. One, um, is I became ringified. And by that, I mean, uh, I finally, ex- well, I've expanded my Internet of Things usage, and I now have three, count them, three uh, Ring Pro doorbells, which I'm finding fascinating. Uh, we've really? Got, we've got them all hooked up. Uh, I can see live video out of any of the doors that I want to. Uh, I, hap- I haven't left home, but in theory... I could be anywhere on the planet with an internet connection and take a peek out my doorbell uh, and also talk to whoever's at my front door. It's, uh, it's really interesting stuff, and it was actually uh, surprisingly easy to set up. I was impressed with uh, basically the process of, of what it took. It was basically scan this code, wait a while, let it communicate, uh, let it communicate some more, and then uh, give it a name. And then all of a sudden you had all this, this functionality that. Um, uh, you know, you can do all sorts of interesting things with. So that was kind of fun. Um, of course, I think, especially for the video side of things, because uh, I can watch streaming video off, you know, for my doorbell, but uh, I suspect it's a case where you really, really, really want a pretty good internet connection in order to make that uh, that happen. Oh, so not at my house then. I wasn't going to say anything, <laughs> but yeah, you mentioned it. <laughs> The thing that's held me back from getting one of those is the lack of a wired connection to my doorbell. I've got a little wireless doorbell now, and I live in an old, old house that one time did have a little you know, DC power right. line that right. no longer works. Is, but, but, so here's, I have exactly the same problem. Yeah. Um, and as it turns out, I mean, we're having some other work done, some, some, a little bit of remodel work in an area of our yeah. house. So while the electrician was out here, I said, hey, you know, I'd kind of like to make this happen. And we have one of those old, old intercom systems. This house was built in the 80s. And it was very popular to have these, these clunky intercoms that never really worked. Yeah. Uh, so what they did, uh, that had wires that weren't being used by anything. So they mounted a transformer um, at a convenient place in the house that basically powers these things. And it's actually not DC. As it turns out, it's 30 volts AC of all oh, things hmm. uh, for most doorbells. And that's all these things require uh, if you don't want to do the battery powered kind. So I've got wired power now to each one of these things just through you know, random wires that happen to be available at each location. So we're pretty happy about that. That worked out really well. That's lucky. I wish uh, I could do that. Um, but yeah, and not only can't I do that, but of course we're dealing with a triple layer brick, you know, walls and I mean all this, you know, cause it's an oh, old absolutely. house. Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, we, and I've got brick as well. I mean the, the facade, yeah. the, the, the siding on my house is brick, but like I said, we were fortunate in that we had 
old technology that was that took up space and had wires that we could just rip out and replace with these things. Right. And I, I did want to add about uh, about Ring. Uh, you know, we are in my neighborhood having just the worst um, porch pirate season of all time yeah. it's really bad uh and thanks to next door of course we're all in touch and everybody's reporting all their th- thefts and it has gotten here's how bad it's gotten in the last two weeks three people have had their ring doorbell cameras stolen <laughs> what's funny is that ring actually guarantees yep. against that they will give you a new one if yep. your doorbell gets yeah there, there's been talk about that and we're waiting to see if like you know that happens and stuff but yeah so there's and, and because these are up to the cloud there's actually been video posted of a guy going up to the thing <laughs> you see his hand approach and you know grab and you could still see his face over like the palm of his hand and then all of a sudden the video goes dead <laughs> it's just, you uh, would think these things would have serial numbers and they wouldn't be able to use them if well, they were stolen. It's, it sounds ridiculous, right? I mean, um, it's like cell phones. I mean, you can't really yeah, steal those anymore. I, I don't understand. I don't know if it's just them being trying to be, I don't know, figuring, well, if I do that, that for the next week or two, there's not going to be a camera here. I think I that's the issue. Because I do think one of the things I had to do with each of the three doorbells that I installed mm-hmm. is I had to scan um, a barcode kind of a QR code on the side of each one. So I suspect that each one does in fact have a unique serial number. So that's easy enough to uh, turn off and, you know, prevent from ever using again. But it does mean that your porch is unprotected for the next few days. And it probably does deter others from, you know, bothering to go and get a, a, a uh, ring doorbell if they're hearing about this, right? The yeah, word maybe. is spreading. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. I, what I did that has been very effective, actually, I can't believe how effective it has been, is I've always had a little tiny sign on my door that says, if you're delivering a package, please ring the doorbell because I work from home. Right. And uh, it hasn't been too effective. Right. But I made a big sign because I just know, oh, hey, you know, it's the holiday season. Just for the next couple of weeks, I got my wife to agree to allow me to hang a big sign on the door. I said, just, just, you know, for the next couple of weeks. And she said, well, fine. And I put it up there and it just says, you know, please ring the doorbell. And I put up logos of like UPS and FedEx, and you know, to get their attention and everything. And since I put that up, I've had every single package delivered. The doorbell's been rung. And something that's never happened to me before is the UPS person started waiting for me to come to the door. Oh, cool. They said it's just dropping it off and maybe ringing, maybe not. They have actually rung and stood there and just smiled and said, hey, here you go. And I was like, hey, I appreciate yeah. you ringing the doorbell and let me yeah. know. It's a, this, The porch theft is a big problem from their perspective too. I mean, even though it's not their fault, yada, yada, they still, I know, feel, feel pretty bad about it. Anyway, the other thing that happened to me this afternoon is I stopped getting email. And that turned out to be a kind of a, a weird techie kind of thing. I, I suspect maybe you've all had this happen. I certainly have had it happen before where you have an SSL certificate, the thing that makes HTTPS work in your browser. They're issued for a limited time, usually one, two, it used to be three years, but I think it's limited to two years now. And at the end of two years, you need to renew it and you need to reinstall it on your server. And I have a couple of those. One of those uh, I use for uh, a number of my sites. And it's, I installed it properly for all of the web servers, all of the websites that I use, but not for the email connectivity. So when you connect to a server uh, through like an SSL or TLS connection, 
it's doing using that same kind of certificate and I just failed to install it. So this afternoon, I think at 4 p.m. my time, it actually expired. And I stopped getting email because I'm using Gmail to pick up email and it said, oh no, the certificate's expired. I'm not gonna, I don't dare get email from an expired certificate. So that was easy to fix, uh, but it's, it's one of those things that we have to uh, also remember. So what I wanted to know is why aren't you using auto SSL for stuff like no. that? Two things. One, uh, auto SSL only became available on my server within the last, I think, year. And my, my certificates, I always renew them for the max amount of time. So it's over two years. It's been two years ago that I actually installed the certificate. So I didn't have to do anything until today. The for my, I'll call them, I don't want to call them my unimportant, but my less important domains, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm letting um, auto SSL do its thing. The problem is that auto SSL only works for websites. It only works for HTTPS connections. If you're using it for things like uh, your server management interface, which actually does not go through the normal HTTPS connection, or you're using it for email connectivity, or you're using it for some other, some other port, some port that isn't 443, uh, then Auto SSL isn't configured to work with that, and you still have to take manual steps. And I actually don't know of a way to use Auto SSL other than a very cumbersome manual process for Auto SSL uh, that makes it effectively not uh, not auto; it just makes it free. Uh, that uh, well, it's it's auto in in that once you um, once you set it up, it renews by itself only for websites. Only for websites and only if the server has the management software installed to actually make that happen. Uh, So anyway, that's what happened here. So for the foreseeable future, for me to have um, a certificate on the server itself for email access or for the the cPanel access that I use, uh, I have to have a real certificate and I actually have to remember to install it. I have to set myself a reminder now for two years from now. Well, now I also do the same thing with Gmail. Gmail goes and picks up my mail from my server right. and then it does its you know, spam filtering. I'm pretty sure it's using the 443 port to do that. And I use auto SSL. I don't have a separate certificate that I know of. So how come it works for me and not for I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, it might be that you've got a self-signed certificate. If you've never taken steps to actually put a certificate in that place, uh, it's very possible that it's using a self-signed certificate. It may be special casing that since it's so common. But I don't know. Um, I might have to, uh, gee, I might have to go look at your server since I can do that. to see You have the keys. I have the keys to, uh, to see what's going on. But anyway, just another one of those, you know, little... Uh, uh, first world problems, zeroth world problems for uh, for us computer guys dealing with uh, SSL and the complexities thereof. Well, let's move on to the agenda. I've, uh, I'm bringing back Breach of the Week, and no, Kevin's not here to sing the horrible song. Yay. Uh, and it's Marriott. And I, I don't want to talk a lot about the breach. Uh, it is pretty bad. It's 500 million people, I think it is. Something like and, that. Um, in addition to the usual name and email and all that kind of stuff, also dates of birth, passport numbers, and a little bit more heinous is payment card information. And apparently they also had stored in the database the encryption keys to get to the payment verification, you know, payment information, which is, you know, really, really, really bad. Uh. But 
the thing that, that caught my eye was senators, quote unquote, plural, uh, says Gizmodo, are suggesting jail time as a solution and, and multi-million dollar fines for big things. I say, quote unquote, because I only really see one senate, senator, Ron Wyden, who's a um, big privacy uh, proponent. And I kind of think that, you know, if we were going to th- put somebody in jail, it should have been Equifax, first of all. Uh, <laughs> and then maybe now these guys, because that's pretty heinous. And I think that's probably the way we're going to have to go, just like Europe did GDPR, which has some pretty hefty fines um, as its hammer. So I wanted to see what you guys thought about that. I mean, I, I know that's a big can of worms. There's pros and cons, but do you think we're, get, we're to that point yet? Well, I certainly think that the point we are at isn't working. So clearly to say that something needs to be done is a pretty easy statement to make. Um, fines, jail times and fines, two different things. Jail time. My question is who goes to jail? Who as an individual or individual? Supposedly C- C-suite guys like CEOs, CTOs, things like that. Who Which, theoretically have the authority to make this better. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that that's that, that's we'd like to shoot at the at the CTOs and the and the C suite uh, sweet sweet po- folks, but in reality, there are so many different ways that this can happen. So many different places that the responsibility can actually lie. I could see a perfectly valid CTO, really good, you know, uh, CTO doing his job properly, and still having this happen because of a rogue employee. Um, it's the rogue employee in a case like that that should be jailed, not the, not the CTO. On the other hand, you know, the opposite is, is also true. Uh, the CTO could be completely clueless and, and needs to be. So I think that part of it is going to be uh, probably necessary, but way more complicated than just we should lock somebody up. Right. And, and there's definitely some, some nuances in here, like um, executives found to have intentionally misled the FTC could face up to 20 years in prison. Right. So, you know, it's, it's not, we're going to throw them in jail. There's, there's clearly some thought behind it. That's right. not just. And in certain situations where you get to use the word intentional and mislead um, in yeah. just about any context, that's, that's a slam dunk. I mean, then you know pretty much who needs to go to jail. The, 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 um, the fines kind of concern me a little bit because most of these companies that we're dealing with, either of two things are going to happen, right? Either the company is going to be big enough that honestly, no matter how big the fine, it's a drop in the bucket. They just reach into the wallet and pass the savings on to you, right? They yep. will just raise their prices or do whatever they take. Or in the case of a small enough company, they will go out of, go out of business or declare bankruptcy or restructure or do something that essentially sidesteps the whole, the whole affair. So I'm not sure that fines, while they sound like a wonderful solution, I'm not sure how effective they're really going to be. Well, so as a coder, <laughs> I, always get, I always get a little nervous when I hear somebody yell jail time for something like this because um, you know, I start to think of how doctors have malpractice insurance, not, not just the hospitals, but the doctors themselves, right? And I'm thinking, God, are we headed to a future where like 10 years from now, 
if you want to be like a serious coder working for Google or Apple or whatever, you know, one of the things you're going to have to have, just like a doctor's malpractice insurance, you screw up something like this. Um, and you've got, uh, this, you know, insurance you pay a thousand dollars a year to, to be able to reimburse the company or the government or whatever. Uh, and jail time really kind of scares me because, uh, I think it definitely has to have not just intent, but malicious intent for jail time. I mean, not for fines. I think intent is just fine for that, but malicious intent, you know, actually saying, oh, we're not going to fix this because more money for us or, um, some reason like that. Um, you know, that has to be shown and proven before somebody actually goes to jail for just screwing up. Um, I don't think anybody should go to jail for screwing up. I think they should go for, to jail for saying that, well, we don't care about privacy, so we're not going to do this. Uh, or we don't care about security, we're not going to do this. So, which probably yeah, means... Cost too much, yeah. Yeah, probably means that this is, you know, nobody would ever really go to jail. Because um, I, I can't see any, why somebody would do that, why somebody would have malicious intent um, to do it. I mean, I guess if they're true evil person maybe but um that they're probably not uh, that's probably the situation is probably not really going to come up in reality um you know the fines you know the the thing to think about in terms of the fines is if the fines go to something like where does that money go and if it goes to uh something that counteracts this whether it's better security or uh you know, privacy somehow, like, you know, watchdogs that do things and that's what pays for that, you know, those organizations to do their, their thing or um, perhaps even something similar like better internet access uh, for the general public or something like that, you know. Um, I think that's an important thing. And then you could say, well, okay, maybe the big companies, it's just a drop in the bucket to them, but at least good things come out of bad situations with the fines. Um, so honestly, I, I suspect that the only real winners in this situation will be the attorneys because you know, there's going to be a lot of time right. spent in court. Well, I, I'm, and I wonder insurance too, I, they would actually be on the other end of this. I mean, I know that developers have to get insurance when they develop stuff. Um, you know, particularly, you know, thinking if they get sued for something or whatever, but um, I'm wondering if companies, especially those small companies like you talk about have insurance policies that cover this. And if they get fined for, you know, $10 million because of a breach like this and they have an insurance policy that then pays out that $10 million. Um, that's where that money comes from. And, or, you know, if they did get covered for it. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, and I, but I disagree with what you said, Leo, about how this, what we're doing now isn't working. I believe it is. I mean, it's not an on-off switch. I believe that there's a lot more attention over the last few years paid towards security. There's a lot more attention paid towards, you know, uh, you know, making sure that websites are developed the right way and systems are developed the right way and all of that. And it's not a hundred percent, you know, and, but it is getting better. I hope I I, I hope you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me wants to say you go on believing that. Um, <laughs> It, because the, 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 the cynic in me says that, uh, yeah, that may be the case, but we sure are seeing a lot of breaches. I mean, it's like we basically did breach of the week uh, for a while and we stopped doing it because it got 
to be old. Every week there was something and it was the same old something. And this has been going on for much longer than we've been doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I don't, the trend line isn't going in the right direction from what I can see. I Um, I I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But basically what, what we're doing right now is public shaming. That's what it boils down to is that we're, we're basically saying, oh, bad on you, Marriott, for having done this. You shouldn't have done that. And then there's another one and we forget about Marriott. Yep. Yeah, but hopefully Marriott then takes care of business and Marriott but is that's now. That's whack-a-mole, right? That, that's whack-a-mole. It's like, okay, great. Marriott's going to button up. Who's next? There's plenty of companies. I don't know. That have tons of data about us that, you know, just one after the other is all it takes for this to go on pretty I much guess. forever. I, I just went and did, you know, one of those things where I, I was like, let me, ch- I'm going to change some passwords, some old passwords. And I have one password installed, right? I'm using that as my as my password vault and they the latest one has some really interesting features in in it like for instance they'll tell you if it thinks the password you're using for an account is too weak it'll tell you if you're using a duplicate password like you're using this same password for another site and another thing it will tell you is if two-factor authentication is available for this service mm-hmm. so as i'm arrowing down through the 600 different passwords i have stored in one password. I can see these things pop up and I started to see obviously for things like Google and such it said oh two factor password uh, two factors available for the service. I started to see it for all sorts of services that I had no idea had two factor and you know sites that I don't really don't even care about. I mean some people do but I just have an account because I need to do one thing at it or something. And it's like really wow that seems like a good portion of these sites have two factor available if you want to use it. And I don't think that was true two years ago. I think two years ago, it was just, you know, Apple and Google and Facebook, and that was it, <laughs> you know? And now it's a ton of sites offering two-factor. In, in a lot of ways, that's it's an important problem to solve. Don't get me wrong, right? Yeah. Password theft and account hacking is a thing. It's a big thing. And two-factor is an awesome way to protect yourself from that. And I do the same thing. If two-factor is available, I will turn it on. I don't care how many different two-factors I've got. Although, by the way, um, you win. 600 accounts beats me hands down. I think, see, I think I'm up, <laughs> only up around 350. Um, but my point is that that's a different problem. That's not, that's not where we're hearing about these breaches. The breaches are coming in on the back end. Right, but I mean, so look at Marriott, for instance. So what information is really there? I mean, I got the, uh, I, I, I have an account with them and I got the email saying, hey, we had a data breach, blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking, okay, what's back there? Now, you know, I changed my password and did all that and I looked and really there wasn't much. I mean, I guess if you really wanted to look at my Marriott account, you could find out the couple times I stayed at a Marriott hotel. There's probably data in there somewhere. And that was it. I didn't really have much in that account. But what about those people that had their passports on file? You can't just random. I mean, it's certainly no small trick to go and change your passport number. Uh, Or those people whose payment information apparently was made available uh, along with a decryption key. I mean, this, this is a particularly bad one in that sense, but it's also not uncommon in that there's all sorts of random information about you and me and Randy and everybody else leaking out through a series of, of uh, uh, breaches like this. And I, I, just, I just don't see it stopping anytime soon. Like I said, the trend is not positive. Okay. Well, we disagree. I'm the optimist. Okay. Which is, which is unusual because <laughs> I'm usually the optimist here. But yeah, yeah, I know. So maybe I'm, I'm hearing from too many people. <laughs> So. And I'm somewhere in between, so. Yep. 
All right, Gary. Oh, yeah. So uh, speaking of optimism, (laughs) uh, so, you know, we've all heard about the the next generation of uh, wireless uh, connectivity is going to be 5G. You know, it already already has a name. Uh, You know, we have LTE for the most part now, and we had 4G before that. And they've been talking about 5G and how much faster it's going to be than LTE and how great it's going to be. And uh, so I've read something interesting in an article that we'll link to um, that 5G to your phone probably isn't coming very soon. And the reason for that is because right now the equipment to receive 5G, to be, you know, have a device that gets it, is pretty bulky. And the antennas and chips and power it requires in terms of battery means that if, you know, if they were to build a 5G phone now, you'd actually have something quite a bit bulkier than what we're used to with our iPhones and really sleek Android phones and stuff. Um, there's actually a company coming out with a the, like a 5G pack that you attach to an Android phone, and it adds quite a bit of heft to the phone itself. And this kind of explains why Apple, the rumors are that Apple's not that interested in 5G right now. It's because they're not going to want to double or triple the weight and size of an iPhone um, to give you 5G, especially when it would only you know, start in a handful of cities anyway. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And the article even talks a little bit about that 5G may not even be for cell phones when it all comes down to it. I don't and think so. 5G might be more for like your house or maybe even just the cell tower that is in your neighborhood gets 5G and then you get LTE from that. Um, and this is really interesting because a lot of the tech articles I've been reading about 5G has all been about getting it on your phone. And now I'm hearing something a little different um, about it. And, you know, other device, whenever weight and size aren't important, then 5G could be something. Like, for instance, your car could be a, you know, a 5G hotspot of some sort. And then your phone might connect to that. And there might be some things like that. On the other hand, it's not the first time a technology has been too big and bulky and, and power hungry to consider it now only to wait a year or two and suddenly it's, it's doable. Um, I mean, I think of, you know, GPS, for instance, the size of the GPS device I carried hiking that really just didn't do much more than just give me two numbers. Um, and now that is a, it's almost weightless part of a GPS chip that goes onto your, on, in your phone uh, that does all of that same stuff. So, you know, the idea is 5G right now, no good. But in 2020, maybe there will be some very small miniaturized 5G chip that uses a small antenna and draws only a little bit of power, and we have it. So two two possible futures to 5G. Yeah, and I don't think that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're going to make it smaller and lighter and all that. No problem. Use less battery. Sure. The problem is that they're talking about millimeter wave, quote unquote. Um, yeah. And when you really technical millimeter wave is 300 gigahertz. That's when the wavelength of the radio signal is one millimeter. Um, they're actually talking about, and the definition of millimeter wave is 30 to 300. And for the phones, they're talking about going down as far as 20. Uh, excuse me, 15 gigahertz. And that's really a 20 millimeter wave. But even that is pretty crazy. It's line of sight. You know, you get a tree in front of you or certainly a building 
you're not going to be talking to that tower. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, we compare this to, you know, like two meter ham, you know, Leo and I are both hams. Two meters means that the wavelength of that frequency, which is about 144 megahertz, is literally two meters long. So you know, more than more than 12 feet. So when you're talking about millimeter, we're talking about really high frequencies that just do not penetrate well. Hmm. I think so, that, that probably lends credence to what Gary was suggesting might be the case where um, they might use 5G for point-to-point -point getting it to a tower, yes. much like so, they use microwave today, right? I, I certainly think that if you're in view of a cell tower with 5G, you could have something on your house to get you really good bandwidth in your right. house. Right. It's just another way to get really good broadband. But I don't, I don't see it coming to handsets except in really dense urban areas. And even then, you know, right. like you go into an elevator, you're, you're done. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I wonder it's if funny it'll... because – go ahead. I know. So I wonder then if it'll be a combo, like a fallback. You have LTE and you have 5G sure. and, you know, switches. It's funny because you were saying that you've been hearing about it being um, talked about with respect to handsets this entire time. Um, I have, apparently we read different news feeds because every time I've come across 5G uh, in like the past oh, month or so, it's always been about uh, internet to the home. Hmm. So I think that that, and having run through that experience, I mean, I've tr I tried to do LTE for a long time as my internet to the home here, and it had various problems. But the point is that some kind of a wireless solution for home internet, especially given the promise of some speed like that, uh, is something that I think a lot of people would sign up for. Again, if they have the opportunity to do, as Randy points out, the point to point. Interesting. So yeah, definitely a lot of possibilities for what 5G is actually going to become a few years from now. Um, as companies like, I think it's Verizon and all, just are trying to roll out the transmitters <laughs> to different cities. We'll just have to see. I, I don't know. I don't. I, for, for once, I really don't have a clear picture of what uh, wireless connectivity is going to look like in a few years, right. other than what it looks like right now. Yep. Mm. So moving on from the new technology to what I'm going to call really old technology, <laughs> this one this one cracks me up. So I've been talking. I've we all get uh, random flyers and uh, solicitations in our mailboxes, our physical mailboxes, uh, all the time. I know I do. And I've been referring to that as paper spam for the longest time because that's ultimately what it is. People are sending me physical pieces of paper uh, in my mailbox without necessarily asking my permission. And it basically doesn't even make it into the house. It usually stops off right into the recycle bin on the way back from the mailbox. As it turns out, paper spam may be a real thing. There's a story on the verge where printers have been hacked remotely and they've been printing messages from, uh, well, obviously from spammers. In the story, it's talking about a campaign to uh, increase the YouTube uh, subscriber numbers for the number one YouTuber, uh, PewDiePie, apparently, and how they're using this, uh, somebody, not necessarily related to the YouTuber, is using this technique to go out and actually just print paper at random people's printers that say, go sign up or go subscribe or do whatever. It's funny because that came up 
Um, and then immediately thereafter, I ran across an article at uh, bleepingcomputer.com. Uh, again, an, another a great site if you're interested in computer security at all. They have a lot of breaking news. The article was printeradvertising.com spam service claims it can print anywhere. And the interesting part about that is that's literally what they are claiming. They are claiming that they have a service for spammers that can actually print on any printer that is connected to the internet. Now, I tend to view that very skeptically because I also think you need to define what it means to be connected to the internet. For example, my printer is not connected to the internet. It's connected to my local network and it is safely behind a router. Unfortunately, apparently, somewhere upwards of 20,000 different printers around the world are in fact connected directly to the internet and therefore uh, could be uh, used for a spam service that could eat up all their paper. Uh, I just thought it was, again, fascinating. Another way of people breaking the way things are supposed to work. The Bleeping Computer article concludes by saying, you know what? There is no reason to have a printer connected to the internet. And I agree. If you actually need to do remote printing, fine. Do some kind of a tunnel, use a VPN, do something that is more secure than just, about ha than just having your printer be naked on the internet. For various reasons, it reminds me of way back in the day, uh, before we knew better and before we had, oh, I'll just say ethics, we would occasionally run print jobs at school that did nothing but a form feed over and over again in an infinite loop. So you get to watch the printer spew out paper at a high rate of speed until the operator noticed and put, put it to a stop. This is what that reminds me of. You, these, on, on one hand, the spammers can print their message on your printer. On the other hand, they could run you out of ink. They could run you out of paper. They could just, if you don't happen to be around, your printer can start printing out all sorts of stuff you're not aware of. So get your printer off the internet. Do it safely. So I used to have a printer that did just this uh, years ago, back in, in brighter happier days of the internet more innocent days yes. innocent days yes so i and and it was a printer ah, i don't remember what brand it was it was a major brand maybe um and it just it was like well internet enabled you know uh you plugged it in and you were able to then print by giving it an ip address and that was the kind of the default and it just worked. It got a static ip address because i had a block of static ip addresses at the time and it worked and it occurred to me that this could happen, that anybody with that IP address could print to it. But um, setting it up on a local IP address would be a bunch of extra steps for the printer and for every single computer that hooked up to it. So my feeling at the time was that until it's a problem, <laughs> I'm not going to try to spend any time on that. Um, and, you know, I used that printer for several years, upgraded to another printer that did not have such a... Uh, stupid way of connecting to everything and I never did have a problem. So I'm glad I didn't spend the time trying to figure all that out because that printer's long gone. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I did, uh, I actually, I did think once or twice, I did actually print something when I was out of the office, uh, back to the office, um, knowing that I could just pick it up the next day when I was, I'm sure there, there, there. are usage scenarios where it's yeah. a valid thing, but man, I have a hard time coming up with a reason. Now, there, are, there, there used to be fax spam. 
Um, yes, probably still is. Yeah. Yep. Well, I don't know if there still is. I don't know how lucrative that would be. But there definitely was, uh, you know, time. I remember one company I worked at, you know, had a fax machine that sometimes you'd come in in the morning and there'd be some ads, like usually for a restaurant or something like that. Sometimes they obviously had your number. Uh, you know, back in those innocent days, they, you would do things like people would ask you for information, like fill out this form for whatever, and it asked for your fax number, and you'd actually write your fax number down. So they probably had fax numbers of like local businesses, and then they would fax their menu, hoping that it would bring more business. Other times, it was just random stuff. It never really was that bad. And um, and of course, people just did have fax machines sitting around in their homes. They were more in businesses. So uh, yeah, but yeah, that was kind of a paper spam. Yes, as to probably before a lot of the spam that we get by email. I mean, there used to be a time the three of us know when email spam was not a thing yet. Right, and yet the the old what is it the uh, uh, the Nigerian scam was was actually at least at, to the best of my knowledge uh, circulated by fax. Yeah, That's I right. have heard that also. So the first time I've ever heard of this printer stuff was actually in the 1990s. When I was at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, we had to hire a consultant to do this big plan for us. And I uh, said, so, you know, we, really like, we would really like to get this in a hurry. And he said, do you have a, a group printer? And I said, yeah. He said, what's it called? And I told him. He goes, it'll be there in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't because he was able to print over the network, over the internet per se, he had access into our institutional land. And I don't know how legitimate it was, but sure enough, half an hour later, that big report was sitting in the printer. Right, right. And to be, to be clear, that's the recommended approach is that right. you don't have the printer naked on the internet. You have it on your institutional land. Right. And then yeah. you give access to that land to the people that might want, the, the people that you trust. And, yeah. and, and we should point out that to people listening that, if you have a printer that's internet enabled or whatever, most likely what it's really doing is it's on your local network. You can print to it. Um, usually by Wi-Fi. Yeah, usually by Wi-Fi, sometimes wired, I mean, all that. But your router that's coming into your house, there isn't a way to get from outside the house in through the router to the printer. The router doesn't know enough to send print commands to the printer. Right. But there are services you can use. I've not used one, so I don't have all the details. Yeah. But very much like remote access, like a, a team viewer type of approach, yeah. you can configure your printer or your network such that it's the printer that reaches out and registers itself with this internet printing service. Right. But most so likely, for most people at home, they don't. You, yeah. you don't have to, you're, you're not going to, if you've never gotten a piece of spam over your printer, you're probably right. not going to get any. But the, the, I say that only because people keep hearing about, well, this you can print for you, to your printer from right. other places. Well, you have to do these steps first to enable yes. It's not like just connecting up your printer behind your yes. router is going to make it happen. That's right. So anyway, cool. Well, speaking of scams and such. Yeah, so this got a lot of attention over the last few days, so I thought it was worth bringing up. Um, a new way to scam people. <laughs> so the way this works... If you have an iPhone with Touch ID, then you can pay for things using Apple Pay by simply putting your thumb on the on the Touch ID you know button on your iPhone. And it actually, it doesn't even need Apple Pay. You can buy in-app purchases, things like that. It's equivalent to entering your password. So what some apps were doing 
was they would claim to want your thumbprint for something else, like for instance, health monitoring. Like we'll monitor your heartbeat, place your thumb on the home button right now. And then it, knowing that you were probably going to place your thumb on the home button a couple seconds after it showed you that, it would throw up a quick little, you know, in-app purchase, $90, and, you know, pre- uh, put your thumb on there to confirm and do it so fast that you wouldn't have time to remove your thumb <laughs> and you would just authorize that purchase. Matter of fact, one of them was really devious. It would throw up a big red fingerprint graphic and then quickly dim the screen just before it put up the official like confirm your payment thing so you really couldn't see it and you're hoping that you wouldn't notice that you were just basically authorized an $80 in-app purchase um so interesting way to scam people i mean it's really no different than other scams just trying to trick you into doing something uh using kind of a social engineering thing it it was a really dumb uh thing because nobody's going to actually get any money from this you're going to no. you're going to get 90 charge $90 for an in-app purchase you're going to go and you know, click on the right things to say hey i didn't authorize this i want my money back and since your money given back to you is something apple does not something the developer does of course apple's going to give it back to you in which case they're not going to then pay the developer of this app for that matter of fact they're going to almost immediately ban the developer of that app uh, from the app store. So I wonder if this is on the same um, thinking as spam, you know, you get thousands and thousands and thousands of people accidentally trip it. All you need is a few not to notice or not to take the extra steps. Right. So, but the the thing is, is that uh, unless the app only affects one person, they somehow don't notice they, they uh, paid $90 and nobody else uses the app. Then it's, you know, it's not going to work because somebody else is going to, you know, have the same problem or hear about this or, or maybe not even get fooled for a second, but they're going to report it in. And then Apple is going to um, ban them, ban the app and not never pay them their money because it takes a while for that money to make its way to the developer especially if it's a new account. I mean, if they've set up a new account, you know, which I'm sure they've done to mask who they really are and all this stuff, you know, they're never going to see any of this money. The apps are going to get banned. The, the, they're going to now know to look for this. Chances are that what happened is the app actually never showed this during the review process. It was something that was triggered later on, like after a certain date to have this function. And probably that in-app purchase, which does need to be approved, was probably a 99 cent purchase for something like extra features for the app or something. And then they changed the price to 90 bucks. They added this functionality, you know, either by a date trigger of some sort or something else. And I I don't know. I think it was somebody trying something and it's, it obviously was doomed to failure. It's not going to work and probably won't be an issue um, at all. But it was interesting to think, you know, that they're, while we think of ways to protect ourselves, there are people out there thinking of new ways to scam us all the time. Yeah, and I, I think this is more theoretical than practical, but it's it's interesting in the, as a thought exercise. But for the reasons you say, I don't I don't think this is very practical. Right, and now Face ID, which is replaced pretty much for the in the Apple ecosystem, Touch ID uh, has the thing where because your face is always in front of it you think you'd be more vulnerable, but there's actually a confirmation. You have to uh, press the side button twice to confirm, which 
was a, basically a one-step thing with Touch ID. You're putting your thumb on the home button, and that's both both identifying you and acting as confirmation. Face ID, it's camera is acting for identification, and you pressing the side button twice is your verification that you do want to, in fact, purchase something. So it won't. It, it isn't something that you do with Face ID very easily. All right. Cool. So what else we got? I came across something in The Verge that is interesting. E-Ink, which is the basic uh, display technology of the Kindle ebook reader. Um, you'd think that's kind of a mature technology and it's never going to get any better. But, you know, they've been doing some neat things like backlighting. And, and uh, now they are allowing or they have developed it so that you can write on it with a stylus and it has very low latency so you know it's not like you draw a line and it shows up after you know five or ten seconds it's pretty good there's a demonstration uh graphic on the verge and they are saying that they should soon have full color e-ink screens up to thirty-two thousand different colors and up to three feet wide. So you could actually use this as a whiteboard or as the case may be a blackboard. So I think it's just kind of neat that that low power kind of low tech, I mean, it seems like low tech, but it really isn't. Technology is still advancing and it's kind of neat. So they, they think that uh, in 2019, a six inch color Kindle uh, will probably be coming and, um, and also these kinds of whiteboard ideas. I, think so I the, just think uh, it's neat tech. I think the, the important distinction to, uh, to make here is that, I mean, there are already uh, color Kindles of that form, but they use um, LED type uh, displays. Right. The difference here with these e-ink type screens is they use significantly less power uh, so that the battery in your uh, electronic device, whatever it might be, Kindle or otherwise, lasts significantly longer. And we see this here at home all the time. I've got a uh, a Kindle Fire that has the LCD, I'm sorry, the LED uh, display. Yep, I've got one of those. And I've also got a Kindle Voyage, which yep. has the e-ink display. And yes, one will go for several weeks without needing a charge. And the other one, well, a few days, depending on how I'm using it. So yeah. it's so a significant, it's a significant neat thing. thing. And I should have said battery life because that's the obvious. but yeah, they're they're working on this stuff, and maybe there'll be other um, applications for this, like smartwatches and things like that. I think the original Pebble watch was e-ink. So if they can get this down to um, you know good color and good quality and low power, we could see this appearing back on smartwatches again, and then your smartwatch could last you you know a week, a month, a year, who knows before you have to recharge it. Now, one of the, the things, it's been a while since I've looked at e-ink, but I know one of the things that held it back from being used in laptops and in um, tablets and phones is that the low refresh rate, you know, you couldn't do video on it because right. you couldn't right. have 30 frames a second on e-ink. You know, the trade-off was power. Um, and I'm wondering if this breakthrough changes that or it's still that kind of thing where uh, it's still not going to replace any screen that needs to show video. Well, the latency is very clearly doing something different. Um, yeah. I don't know that they could 
you know, flash the screen 30 times a second. I think that's unlikely. Right. But you know, it's, it's showing a guy drawing on it. And it's a very short uh, video that just loops on the, probably a GIF that shows this how quick it is. But yeah, they're not showing, they're not trying to do video, but who knows, maybe in the long run. Yeah, I wonder if they're if the update is just those pixels. The pixels you're drawing on, which are just a small right. collection, can be very low latency. But then the idea of, like you said, flashing the entire screen 30 times a second is just, that's not, that's still not there for e-ink. Right. It's like the OLED displays on phones. They can address single pixels and you know, show a clock when your phone is, is uh, locked, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of neat. And maybe they're using the similar technology. Yeah. Cool. All right, so, what's next? Yeah, what, what else do we have to talk about? Well, not a whole heck of a lot, it looks like. <laughs> we're in the, we're in the, holiday, the holiday season here. For, we're in the holiday season, that's for sure. Yeah. So it's funny, while we were talking, somebody was at my front door. And I heard about it here. Oh, so worked. The, ah. the ring works. It's amazing. Probably <laughs> Amazon delivery. There's a lot of those happening here all the time. Yeah, and as the season goes on, they get later into the evening. They do. More and more common on Saturdays and Sundays. Yep. Um, yeah, and boy, more trucks. I see these white trucks that just say logistics on the side of them. Now, driving around my neighborhood a lot and dropping packages off. And I think it's a probably a private company of some sort that is filling in. I think there's all sorts of companies and individuals, of course, using Amazon Flex, I think it's called. Right. Um, I was going to say that yeah. we see all sorts of random people driving up our driveway to deliver a package. <laughs> what I appreciate is that they are all wearing uh, vests, uh, not Amazon vest, just reflective vest, safety vests, like, like Randy, you and I probably both have that. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it, it makes them stand out so that this, you can tell it's not just some random person uh, walking up to your house. Yeah. Hold your fire. We're just dropping yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. So I guess we should wrap. That yeah. sounds like a week. Yeah. All right. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh51. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. See Bye. You.